have pulpit will travel. That's what it feels like. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Well, this morning I get to share from uh, chapter 9 of the story, The Faith of a Foreign Woman. Let me put my eyes on so I can read my notes. Is anybody here um, into genealogy at all? A couple of you out there. Um, what is genealogy? You guys know? Yeah, like a family tree, like Brenda said, your heritage, your um, family history. And so, you know, I wanted to share a few things from my family history this morning, um, just a few minor things. And um, I want to share about both grandparents on each side of um, my family, Grandma and Grandpa Pickerel and Grandma and Grandpa Saunders, uh, were both married over 65 years. Uh, Harold and Borgie Pickerel, who were married for 60 years, uh, they, they actually lived in one of those sod houses, you know, when they were together in their younger years. And um, Grandpa Pickerel also had a saying, if you have a will, you have a way. So he was a very uh, determined guy, you know, so he, as long as you... I had a will, you would find a way to do it. And he always seemed to find a way to do things. Um, Grandma and Grandpa Saunders, who were married 67 years, um, one thing about marriage that they always said is you never say the D word. And it's not the one word you're thinking, it's divorce. Never say divorce. Um, and don't ever go to bed mad. Work it out, you know, talk through the issue. And then also with Grandma Alice, she had a, an amazing way for a long, healthy life. And her, her key to a long, healthy life was a slice of butter with every bite of your meal. <laughs> so Grandma Saunders would always have her stick of butter next to her plate of food, and she would take her butter knife and slice down the butter, put it on her fork, and eat it. It's like, why don't you just eat the stick of butter, you know? <laughs> no, but you know what was so funny about that, though, is whenever she went in for blood work, she always had the best blood work, the lowest cholesterol. She didn't have the high blood pressure or any of that stuff. So it was just kind of funny. That was her little, little thing for a long, healthy life. And then just something fam someone famous in our family was uh, Sergeant York. And Sergeant York was... Uh, uh, I don't know if you've heard of him. There was a movie made back in 1941, um, and he captured a whole German division. Um, he's on the Pickerel side, uh, cousin of my, my grandpa. But uh, here's a little blurb about him. A man who became a legend in his own lifetime is dead. Sergeant Alvin Cullum York came out of the Tennessee Hills in World War I, and despite religious scruples, went into the army and came out a hero. A hero who was to remain a modest man to the end of his 76 years. When the war broke out, young Alvin York was swinging a pick on a road gang. He was inducted and assigned to the 82nd Division, and he quickly made a name for himself with his marksmanship. Sergeant York 
shot his way into history when he captured or killed an entire German machine gun battalion of 160 men, and he did it single-handedly. Sergeant York was the first common soldier to become a national hero. He refused to be exploited and turned down offers of lecture tours and books to devote himself to his beloved mountain people. He said, this uniform ain't for sale. Honor upon honor was bestowed on the doughboy who had married his childhood sweetheart. Always welcomed to the White House with his family, Sergeant York received more than 50 high honors from his own nation and foreign governments. But he continued to farm and hunt and to teach Sunday school to the Hill children. One of his last public appearances was when he received a citation from the Gold Star Mothers. He was modest as always. Certainly is an honor to receive this uh, presentation from the Gold Star Mothers of the World War, whom we uh, love so dearly, me and my comrades. And I accept this not only for myself, but for all of my brothers who were in the World War. I thank you. So that was Sergeant York, um, someone famous in our genealogy uh, as a family. Um, genealogy in the Bible was, you know, an important thing, you know, and um, I think culturally it was, it was way more significant back then than it is today. Uh, we don't focus as much as on it. It's more of a, a side time for us to know where we're from. It's, it doesn't so much in our culture determine too much um, who you are and where you're from. But in the Bible times, um, when someone came from and who their family was was uh, crucial to them, and it was really significant. It determined a lot about someone and their standing in society. And it gave them certain opportunities based on their genealogy. Um, and in the Bible, you find these long genealogies. And does anybody here read through those? A few hands. And sometimes, you know, I, you know to be honest, I, I'm just as guilty. I'm, I'm just tempted each time to skip over those genealogies because, you know, they can be a bit long and drawn out. And... Because the story which we're reading through is more of a summative of the overall story of the Bible, it tends to skip over reading through those genealogies. But uh, there's one I want to focus on this morning that goes along with our story. Um, it's in Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus. In this genealogy, we find five significant women listed here, uh, which is really important to our story today of Ruth. It helps us understand the broader picture of what God is doing in this story. Point one, the story God is telling. God is always telling who he is, what he's like, and how he's putting things together. The genealogy piece of Jesus gives us a glimpse into who God is, what he's like, and it launches us really well into this story today of Ruth. And with these women in Scripture, we learn a great deal about them through their circumstances in Scripture. In fact, Ruth has a whole book in the Bible devoted to God's story and how he pulled her into his family and used her to build his kingdom. 
But as we look at Ruth and these women from a human's perspective, we would think, why are these ladies even in Jesus' genealogy? Let's, because if you look at them from a human's perspective, let's see what it would look like. Let's start with Mary. Mary was a virgin at the time of Jesus' birth. She was an unlikely candidate to be someone's mom. And from the perspective of her culture, was a pregnant virgin? Was carrying a baby that wasn't her fiancé's? Which in the human perspective would be suspect. Can you tell me how many of you today, if a, a woman walked up to you named Mary, said, I am, I am a virgin, but I am pregnant. How many of you in this room would believe her? You would be a bit suspect, wouldn't you? I know I would be. I'd be like, uh, sure, you're a virgin. <laughs> then there was uh, Bathsheba. She was an adulteress with King David, who with King David had her husband killed so that David and her could be married. And it's not quite the story that you want to tell your grandkids, right? Grandma and Grandpa, how did you meet? Well, no. Not a good story to tell the grandkids. And then, you know, Ruth, she was a foreigner. She was part of a group of people that had been shut off from God. And uh, she was an unlikely person to be a part of this story. Then we have Rahab. She was also a foreigner, but she was also a prostitute. And then Tamar was a childless widow who had to trick her father-in-law into doing his duty under God's law so that she could have children. So when you think about Jesus' mom and his great-grandmas, they were pretty interesting people, weren't they? They had quite the colorful past. So you often wonder, what is God doing with this? You know, I believe what he's doing here and demonstrating who he is, he's just demonstrating who his character is as a kinsman redeemer as a kingdom redeemer he doesn't look at the things we, as we do does he in isaiah 55 8 through 9 it says for my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways says the lord for as in heaven are for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Sure glad this is the case because I know if it was going by my thoughts, there'd be a lot of people that wouldn't be around right now. I'd be like, nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> so it's a good thing uh, we're going by God's thoughts because his thoughts are way higher than mine. When we look at the larger story of what God is telling us, we see the big picture that God is demonstrating. And it's full of grace it's full of love, and it's full of redemption. It's a story of inclusivity, not exclusivity. I know at times it, it feels like we're an unlikely instrument of God's story, or what God wants us to do. Uh, there may be things going on in your life right now. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on right now in life, and you're just, sometimes you're just like, really, God, you can use me here? Or there might be something in your past that maybe is holding you back because the enemy is uh, saying you're not worthy. 
Whatever it is, it's not too big for God to overcome. He has a larger picture in mind when he calls each one of us into his family, or as like in Ruth's case, draws her in. This is the same mission, the same family that God brings Ruth into in order to make her the great-grandma of the Israel King David and ultimately the great-great-great-great-great-grandma of Jesus. So the story of Ruth begins in Moab. The Israelites have an interesting and complex relationship with the Moabites due to their past. And, you know, they are cousins um, through Lot, and, but they just have an interesting um, relationship here. And the Moabites are certainly not following the God of Israel at this time. In fact, in Deuteronomy 23.3 it says, An Ammonite and a Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Then God goes on to say, Do not seek a treaty of friendship, friendship with them for as long as you live. So there was just this real, God wanted this real separation for, from the Moabites. So we can see, you know, they're, they're a group of people, the Israelites and the Moabites, that weren't close. <laughs> and then we jump into Ruth, chapter 1. And we are introduced here to Elimelech and Naomi, and they are heading to Moab. Why are they heading there? Because there's a famine in Israel at the time right now. And they know there's, there's food there. But one thing I want to point out here as we're introduced to Elimelech and Naomi is that names were important. In fact, Elimelech means my God is king. This leads me that there's something different about this family. Because what, what period of time is this? It's the period of the judges. There is no king. But by his very name, he's making the declaration that my God is my king. Then they have Naomi. Her name means pleasant, good, lovely, and winsome. Let's keep that in mind because later in the story, we find Naomi having a little bit of a pity party, and she actually changes her name. So the family has moved to this land because of the famine. And then some time goes by and Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi and her two sons, uh, Malon and Kilion, in this foreign land. Then Kilion marries a woman named Orpha and Malon marries a woman named Ruth. And then another 10 years pass by and both Kilion and Malon die and they don't have any kids and Naomi is left alone with her two daughter-in-laws here in this land that they've traveled to. But even in this situation, God has a plan. In Ruth 1, 6 through 7, it says, Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws and she, that she might return to the, from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the in the country of Moab, that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughter-in-laws with her, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. 
Then right here, Naomi has some second thoughts. So they're all packed up, they're on the road, they're ready to go, and she has some second thoughts and, st you know, and starts to have a little bit of a pity party here. It's starting a little bit. And she's realizing that she has absolutely nothing to offer these women. So she feels empty, she's lost her husband, she's lost her son, she's broke, she has no money, and she's going home, and she doesn't know what she's going home to. In those days, it's not like she could just get on the internet or pick up the telephone and say, hey, how's it going in Israel? You know, what's, what's, what's waiting for me there? No. So she doesn't know what's, what she's going into, she just knows that, you know, God has returned food to that area. And... And she doesn't want to force her daughter-in-laws to come back with her, and she has nothing to provide for them. In Ruth 1, 8 through 13, it says, And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should bear sons, would you wait till they grow up? Would you restrain yourself from having husbands no my daughters for it grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the lord has gone out against me translation here it's really sweet that you want to come back with me but i have nothing for you i am just a bitter old woman from whom god has taken everything away hmm. she's lost hope she even said that in the verse, if I had hope. Ruth 1, 14 through 18 says, Then they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her, and she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, and this is important, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I die, and, where, and there will I be buried. The Lord do, do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Why does Ruth here insist on returning to Israel with her mother-in-law? Naomi is broke with no husband or sons to protect them, and she will be going to a foreign land that doesn't really particularly like Ruth's people, correct? As we heard before. But remember the book of Ruth God is telling an inclusive story where it's not about just natural boundaries here. It's not just about the people of Israel. He's looking to the nations and everyone around as well. 
He sees beyond our outward appearances. He sees beyond our origins, our family history. God has been truly drawing Ruth to himself, even though she is a foreigner. Point two, how God interacts with people in the Bible and with us in our lives. In most of the stories before this, we see God directly interact with people in the Bible. With Abraham, God comes and makes a covenant with him. And, and then with Moses, he speaks directly to him, like, people, like we are talking right now, back and forth. And then with Gideon, an angel of the Lord appears to him, so that we see these direct interactions. But we, we really don't see that in the book of Ruth here. But what do we see? We see the fruits of those interactions. Ruth, a Moabite woman with zero connection to the living God outside of her mother-in-law, is so compelled by whatever it is she has encountered through who? Naomi. However Naomi has represented God in her everyday life, Ruth is willing to go back to a foreign land with Naomi, who is destitute and now who is also bitter. Whatever it is she has encountered through her mother-in-law is so compelling to her, she is willing to risk whatever may bring for her over whatever she could have had if she had returned to Moab. So Ruth here doesn't want to be cut off from the God of Israel. So however Naomi has represented the God of Israel to her is reflected here because God, what? Draws Ruth to himself. God had a plan of redemption here while also a plan of redemption for all of humanity. He's building his story for who? the genealogy of Jesus. It's the larger picture. It's the story that God is putting together. Let me ask you this question right now. How are you representing God to the people around you? Are your family, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, are they encountering a compelling God that draws them closer? And if your life was their only access to Jesus, how would they see Jesus? It's not like I'm saying you have to have 100% perfection here. Otherwise, we'd all be doomed, right? <laughs> and that's not what I'm saying here. No, Naomi, our example from this sto story, is sitting there and she currently didn't have her life together. She's sitting there saying, I have nothing. I have lost everything. And God is bitter to me. And she, right here, this is in Ruth 1.20. This is where she changes her name it's, and to Mara. And the word Mara means bitter. It says, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? She's blaming God. 
She's, she's empty. But God just asks us in everyday life and everyday circumstances to be willing to let him use us. Willing to represent him in the places that we go. We don't see all the times that Naomi represented God well or the times she failed to represent him at all. But what we see is the fruit of those interactions in Ruth's declaration. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more so if anything but death parts you and me. Ruth makes a beautiful covenant here with Naomi, her mother-in-law. And you know Ruth's name means? It means friendship. And she's a loving and dutiful daughter-in-law. And Naomi may feel alone, but God has given Ruth to Naomi, just as Naomi was given to Ruth. So, then God takes the story, and because he's a redemptive God, he restores Naomi and Ruth in this story. He does this by bringing Boaz into Ruth's life. And Boaz is a, a relative of Naomi through her husband, Elimelech, and Boaz is a man of standing in the community. In fact, his name means, in him is strength. In him is strength. So we see in Ruth 2, Ruth is gleaning in the fields and she catches Boaz's eye and is drawn to her. Not just by her beauty, he, is, he says he is drawn to her by her character that he has heard of with his, her commitment to Naomi. So he's not, even, not just drawn by her beauty, he's drawn by her character. Again, the same thing that happened with Ruth. She was drawn in by Naomi serving her God, what she was representing there. So Boaz, Boaz blesses her. He protects her, even tells her his harvesters to leave extra grain for her to gather. And Naomi finds this out from Ruth and starts... This starts to put a glimmer of hope in Naomi's life right here. God's, God's beginning to restore her, refill her. And Boaz, what's cool about Boaz is he's even labeled at a, as a kinsman redeemer. And in the culture, a kinsman redeemer had the ability to marry a widow, redeem a piece of property that they were forced to sell, bring and to bring it back into the family. He could even redeem a family member that had to, be, had to be sold into servitude due to debt. Even avenging an off, unlawful killing of a family member. Sure sounds like a savior that I seem to know in my own life. So Naomi introduces Ruth to God of Israel and brings her to Israel. Naomi has zero power to do anything. She can't change Ruth's situation, but recognizes that Boaz is someone that can, can change their lives. And that's where we need to be with the Christ in us. We recognize it's not the power or strength that we have, but it is Christ in us 
And by realizing that, we realize that he has the power to change the lives around us. And we get to release that. The story goes on with Naomi encountering encountering Ruth to pursue this relationship with Boaz, who is that kinsman redeemer. Boaz sees that Ruth is of noble character, and we see possible wedding bells here in the future, don't we? But there's one little hitch. There's another relative in the, in the way. But Naomi says, don't worry about that. Boaz is going to take care of that. So Boaz talks to this relative about this property. You know, hey, it's a great deal. You know, and the, the, the close relative is like, yeah, I want to buy that. And Boaz goes, but you have to marry this Moabite woman, Ruth. But because of the cultural issues, he's too afraid to step forward and do it because uh, he's worried about how it would affect his family if he were to marry a Moabite woman. So Boaz sets this up. He probably knew that uh, this cousin ahead of him wouldn't take the deal if this had to happen. But anyways, he sets it up because he really wants to marry Ruth. Uh, and so... The cousin even goes, no, I don't want to do it. Boaz, you redeem it yourself. I can't do it. So now Boaz is able to make the deal and buy the land and marry Ruth. Now, this is cool what happens here uh, for Ruth and Naomi. In Ruth 4, 11 through 17, it said, And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witness. The Lord make the women who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez and Tamar before to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you for this, this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid it on her bosom and even became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor woman called him, called him a name, saying, There is the son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed, who is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So Naomi revealed the God of Israel, even in times of weakness. And in turn, Ruth made a covenant with Naomi and her God. And then Boaz allowed God to use him to be Naomi and Ruth's kinsman redeemer, restoring to them what has been lost. And likewise, God has made a redemption covenant with us that's even greater than the one that was made here with Ruth. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you in over a hundred scriptures through his word. And he And if we choose him, we see that God's covenant goes beyond that covenant that Ruth made. Because Ruth said, 
even until death. God's covenant goes beyond death. It conquers death. It gives us eternal life and restores us 100%. God says he will redeem us from even death to be with him in glory. So God also, through the covenant we made with him, releases in each one of you to the people around you to be kinsman redeemer, but let's upgrade that. You are kingdom redeemers. You get to release the kingdom of heaven to those around you. You get to draw people in through the power of Jesus Christ into the kingdom, into their destiny, into that genealogy of Jesus Christ in their lives and who they are destined to be. There is no black sheep in the family. Each person has a destiny and a calling in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we just thank you this morning for your covenant with us through your Savior who gave his life for us, Lord Jesus. And Lord, as we accept you as our personal Lord and Savior, Lord Jesus, we are drawn into your kingdom. We're drawn into your kingdom and that amazing genealogy of who we are in Christ. We are kingdom children. We get to be kinsmen redeemers kingdom redeemers in you, Lord Jesus. And we just thank you for that in your name. Amen. Sorry, I forgot about you guys at home. <laughs> okay. Let's stand up. And it's just a very positive, practical application and, and, and interpretation of that. Love that, that uh, word from Ruth's story that their efforts to bring God and blessing to people, Naomi with her daughter-in-laws and then Ruth and Boaz with Ruth, ultimately brings forth Jesus. And that, isn't that what we all want? We want our efforts to bring forth Jesus Christ and, and, and his blessing to everybody. So as we go out today and, and uh, make that effort, just know that that's our, she's our prototype. That's our prototype. We're bringing forth Jesus to everywhere we go. So God bless you as you go. Have a super week. Thanks for being with us today. Cause the God I serve knows only how to try